Welcome to the Timur District Council Cast. As part of its COVID response, the government recently announced some significant changes to the Building Act. This episode, we're talking to Building Control Manager Jason about what these changes are and how they affect you. Please note that this podcast is for information only and should not be considered official advice. So, in the wake of COVID, um, the government came out with some quite significant changes to the Building Act. Um, there's a lot of excitement about these from a lot of budding DIY people. Can you um, outline what the changes actually are? Sure. Thanks, Stephen. So, um, back on um, 24th of May, the Minister um, has announced some changes, as you say. Um, and some of those changes directly affect uh, certain aspects of what building work doesn't require a building consent. It's mainly around sort of low-risk buildings, uh, nothing that's too complex, um, and that's just to allow a little bit more streamlining in terms of the consenting process so that we can concentrate on more of the higher-risk stuff um, that are more probably uh, pertinent or, or important, and where the building owner um, has a little bit more surety around some uh, lower-risk things that they can potentially do themselves. What sort of buildings, give an example of what kind of buildings would you talk about here? So some of the changes that have been made are around the likes of your carports, your sleepouts, um, some outbuilding sheds, that sort of thing. Any sort of low risk stuff that uh, doesn't necessarily require a lot of technical input to its design and, and to its construction really. There's a bit of confusion over what something requires consenting and whether it meets the Building Act. I'm guessing that one isn't related to the other in this case, that the buildings still have to be of a quality that meets the, the provisions of the code? Absolutely. So the, the, you did right. The, there's two components. Um, there's the requirements of the Building Act, uh, but all building work must comply with the New Zealand Building Code. And the Building Code sets out some, some guidance around how one is to achieve that. Ultimately, that responsibility is the owner's responsibility to ensure compliance with Building Code has been met, whether a building consent is required or not. Having a bit of building work on your property that's not up to code, could that cause problems when you go to sell or at some point in the future? Yeah, look, potentially it can. Uh, And uh, any work that uh, has been carried out and if there's been no consent involved, then lots of questions sort of come from that, to be honest, especially when the property goes to sell. And someone will come along carrying out their due diligence and uh, they'll ask the question, well, this looks different to the plan that I've got, perhaps from a limb, and then the owner then has to start digging back and having a look to see what work has been carried out and and try and go through that process. More often than not, um, that requires some involvement from council to try and help through that process. Uh, So it can get a little bit tricky, yeah. Have the lines changed for that do-it-yourself level, popping down to the DIY store, getting everything you need and whipping it up over the weekend versus getting a professional in to do it? Where does that sort of line sit? Yeah, so there's there's some changes um, so that are, that are directly relating to that. Um, so a common example of, of something that would be exempt from requiring consent. So as we ca- sort of currently know, um, we've got a, um, a, a single standalone building and one of those could be a, a, like a sleepout. And so as it currently stands, for that type of building to be exempt from requiring a building consent, um, it needs to be no more than one storey high. Uh, The floor level needs to be no greater than a metre above the ground with a maximum height of three and a half metres. And as we know, it can't be any bigger than 10 square metres in floor area. Can't provide or um, have any sanitary facilities, um, which is your toilets, your showers, that sort of thing. Uh, And it can't have any storage of potable water hot water, some of that sort of stuff. You can use it as a sleeping accommodation, 
providing it in connection with a, a, an existing house or dwelling that's on the property. So, but it can't be on its own right. No cooking facilities, um, and it must be its own height away from a legal boundary or a residential building. So, for example, if it's like two metres high, it needs to be two metres away from a boundary. The changes that are proposed, at the moment, from what we can make out from the guidance that MB have provided, is that they're changing the square metre size from 10 squares to 30 square metres. But there's some sort of some other components that, that are in that mix. One of which is that uh, if it's a, a kitsy or prefab, prefab type building, like your, um, your skyline or your versatile garages, for example, to meet the uh, exemption requirements, um, they have to be designed by a CPN or a, a registered engineer. Okay? Charter professional is, is the name uh, referred to that. So that's one particular aspect. The other aspect is if you, you can build a building, uh, 30 square metres in size, and it could be designed or constructed by a builder with a licence, so a licensed building practitioner, or the building could be constructed by a non-professional, uh, again, up to 30 square metres in size, but must be compliant with the building code acceptable solutions under um, B1, uh, which is the structural element of the building code. Uh, so there's sort of three parts to that which are a little bit more restrictive, uh, but it's really clear that the involvement of these professionals are there for a specific reason. And uh, so it's not just, yep, oh, it's 30 square metres, I can fire ahead and do it. There's actually quite a little bit more to it than that. So it's not the free-for-all that some people envisage? It's, it's certainly not a free-for-all. Um, and whilst we're talking about the requirements of uh, meeting the requirements of the building code um, and whether this work requires a building consent or not, it doesn't negate the considerations around compliance with the Resource Management Act. All right, so we've got our uh, district plan and uh, within that there's a number of considerations that need to be made whether a resource consent would may be required or may not be required. There's also considerations around uh, some bylaws and uh, depending on where you are and the location of your proposed building, whether you're in an urban area, whether it's rural or, or whatever the case might be, um, there will be other considerations that need to be taken into consideration. So the best thing is to, whenever you're coming across it or want to engage in, in, in building a building of, of this type, or any building for that matter, then the best thing is, is to come in and talk to Council. We have a great service provided to give that information out around what your specific proposal is and uh, that will then become a little bit more clearer to your specific project as opposed to you know reading some information from a website which then you're trying to work out you know um, does that apply for me or does it not because people might be a wee bit gun shy coming into the council as they think that once we know about something mm -hmm. we have to act on it how does the building advisory service work yeah, that's a, that's a good point, and I, and I think that's quite important that there's, there's no issue in terms of asking questions and finding out information. Ultimately, you really want to do this before you do any work. <laughs> it comes a little bit more trickier if you've already done it, and then you try and uh, work out how that fits. But So the best thing is, is to really come in and talk to us first, lay out what your proposal is, and it might be fairly generic at that point, and that's fine. We can then give you some information that then you can decide on how you proceed from there. So we're not going to come around and beat you up with a big stick, um, but it's essentially around us being able to provide you the best information we can so you can then in turn make the best decision. When you've finished the project and got this shiny new building in your backyard, is there a benefit of actually getting it inspected as well? Or Yeah, so a good point about um, anything that fits under the requirements of exempt building work. There's, there's no official inspection process that council will undertake. 
for any work that is exempt from requiring a consent. However, there's a really good system in place that you can record that information uh, officially. Uh, there is a cost to that. That's very minor and compared to a building consent. But uh, the, the beauty of that, of course, is that you can have that officially recorded on your building file so that when you go to sell or uh, someone gets a limb, for example, then all this information is there. You're not going to be uh, challenged with any tricky questions or what about this, what about that. It's all laid out. It's, it's there for everyone to see. Has there been a bit of a rush of inquiries following this rule change of people raring to go? Certainly has been uh, a lot of inquiries and uh, the, the one message that came out of the announcement by the Minister back in May was, it wasn't as I guess most uh, reasonably a high level. So the misconception from that was that it was available now to do. That's not the case. So these changes to exempt building work to Schedule 1 won't be coming into at least the end of August and then there'll be some other changes following on from that as well through throughout the year. So it's important for people to know that these changes aren't in place at the moment but uh, it's a really good idea at the moment though again to come and have a chat to us about what your proposal is, whether it meets that requirement before jumping ahead and doing it now or waiting another couple of months so that you know you're, you're actually um, safe. Because you're expecting the rules to be refined and to be clarified over time? Yeah, I think there's going to there's not enough guidance out there at the moment. And we've talked about mainly the, the, the square meterage changing and really being a significant change, and certainly for these the sleep out type buildings. So what we're not a hundred percent clear on and the ministry hasn't provided this guidance yet, is to whether all of the other parts of the current exemptions still apply. So that's what we're not a hundred percent sure on at the moment. We can only assume that they do still apply because we haven't been told they don't. So that's something that's actually really important for people to know. A really important message that uh, don't jump into something without making sure that you're 100% confident that what you're doing does meet that requirement. Because there are, even for non-consented things, there are still jobs that require licensed building practitioners. Well, the, and see, this is part of the uh, the complexity, I suppose, with, with this particular change, is that um, currently any work that fits the requirements of exempt building work doesn't actually require a licensed building practitioner to carry that work out. So there's, there's an amount of work that the Ministry have identified that is restricted building work. So restricted building work can only be carried out by a licensed building practitioner. But if that work falls under the exemption rules, then the licensed building practitioner doesn't have to carry that work out. However, these changes that are coming, they're introducing that element of a licensed building practitioner to carry out certain parts of that work. So there's still a little bit of information and guidance around how all that's going to fall into place. At this point in time, unfortunately, we just don't have that information. But uh, certainly as soon as we do have it and it is made available, then we'll be ensuring we try and update it as best we can. I guess although a lot of people in the public think consents are a bother, they're a problem, it's actually the removal of the requirement for it's actually removing a degree of a safety net, isn't it? Certainly is. Um, And certainly, I mean, the, the, the most important thing about any building work is that um, it's not so much in, in the now, it's down the track that always tends to be the issue or the issues arise from um, further on down the track. The, the building consent process is it's a, it's a guarantee that certain work has been carried out in accordance with the legislation and therefore at the end of that work you get a co-compliance certificate which ver- verifies that. And that is the best form of, of assurance you can possibly have. When 
there is an element of, well, here's a, here's a certain amount of work that doesn't require a building consent. That responsibility and liability then goes back to the building owner to ensure all of that work still is compliant and is in accordance with all the rules that relate to it. So it takes the council out of that mix and then puts the building owner back in the and right in the thick of it. So that's why I say it's really important for anyone embarking on doing some work that may be exempt from acquiring a consent to really fully understand what those implications are to make sure they do actually meet that requirement. What would be the one thing you would say to someone thinking of embarking on a project under this scheme? Um, yeah, I'm sort of reiterating myself that uh, talk to council first. We have a number of experts that, uh, and this is our job to know this sort of thing. There is, as I said before, there's lots of information that's out in, in the mix that has been sort of chopped and changed and, and you get hear a lot of stories sort of third and, and fourth hand type thing. The best thing is to talk to council. We are well aware of what the situation is and what the rules are and how they are applied. Bearing in mind, there are always other things that need to be considered that certainly the Building Act doesn't cover, but do need to be considered because they are just as important. Looking further down the path, you're going to buy a house, you're looking at a new house, and there are some buildings of this type that were built in an unconsented way. What, what? What would a person who's buying a house actually look for? That's a really good point. The The key thing when you're purchasing a building is to apply for a, a LIM, a Land Information Memorandum. So that LIM will give you all sorts of information that council has available relating to that particular building and the land associated with it. So that's that's the, one of the, the best things that, that one can do. If the building owner has registered, or building owners, has um, registered any exempt work officially, then that information will show up on a limb. So it'll show your building consents um, and then any exempt work that has been carried out that we have been able to record uh, in an official capacity, along with any other consents, uh, approvals, and, and a lot of other council-related information that we can provide. And that does give you the opportunity then to look at what work has been carried out. It'll only give, it, give you information to a very reasonably high level so, but it does allow you then to investigate further. Well, what's this about? I see there's some work done here, had a consent, and it might not be um, signed off, might I have it, so co-compliance certificate. So it allows you to dig a little bit further, what's still outstanding. Likewise, with your exempt work, you can then go into those a little bit deeper as well and find out exactly what that work was about. So then you are making a really informed decision about the, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the, probably the biggest purchases you'll ever buy. So you've said the most important thing for people to do is come in and ask for advice. How does someone go about that? We've got our building advisory office and officer who is available anytime during normal working hours. So you can either email him, you can phone him, you can come in in person and have a chat. No booking is required, but that is available for, for anyone at any time, basically. Is that free service? Absolutely a free service. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would suggest that anyone wanting to find out more information great way to do that and uh, if you are wanting to then embark on a project that is going to um, require further input uh, from council's end um, then we can certainly look at how we can progress that further as well.